We must be getting close. Yeah, right. Brimstone. Don't be talking about the brimstone. I know what I smell, and it wasn't no brimstone. Didn't come off no stone, either. It's big enough, but look at the location. <laughs> uh, Shrek, uh, uh, remember when you uh, said that, that, that ogres have layers? Oh, I. Well, I have a, a bit of a confession to make. Um, donkeys don't have layers. We, we wear our fear right out there on our sleeves. Wait a second. Donkeys don't have sleeves. You know what I mean. Oh, you can't tell me you're afraid of heights. No, I'm just a little uncomfortable about being on a rickety bridge over a boiling lake of lava. Come on, donkey. I'm right here beside you, okay? For emotional support, we'll just tackle this thing together one little baby step at a time. Really? Really, really. Okay. That makes me feel so much better. Just keep moving. And don't look down. Okay. Look down. Look down. Keep on moving. And don't look down. Don't look down. Keep on moving. And don't look down. I'm looking down! Oh, God, I can't do this. Just let me off right now, please. But you're already halfway. Yeah, but I know that half is safe. Okay, fine. I don't have time for this. You go back. Shrek, no, Just wait. donkey. Go on. Oh, let's have a wait, dance then, shall we? Donkey, oh, God. Don't do that! Oh, I'm sorry. Do what? Oh, this? Yes, that! Yes? Yes, do it. Okay. Ah! No, Shrek! No! Stop! You just said stop! Do it! Stop it! I'm doing oh, it! Oh, God, I'm gonna die! I'm gonna die! I'm gonna die! Shrek, I'm gonna die! Oh! That'll do, Donkey. That'll do. Cool. So where is this fire-breathing pain in the neck, anyway? Inside, waiting for us to rescue her. <laughs> I was talking about the dragon trick. What do you fear? So uh, I checked out, uh, before I was uh, preparing this sermon, I was uh, doing a survey and I said, okay, what is the top 10 greatest fears now these days in 2018? And if you do a quick Google, number 10 would be, I uh, get this, it's called tripophobia. And tripophobia is the fear of holes. Mm, okay. Number nine is aerophobia. What's that? The fear of flying. Right? Number eight, mysophobia, the fear of germs. Number seven, claustrophobia, the fear of small spaces. Number six, astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. Weird there, too. And then number five is sinophobia, the fear of dogs. Number four is agrophobia, the fear of open and crowded spaces. And number three, acrophobia, the fear of heights. Number two is ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes. And number one, the fear of spiders, arachnophobia. Arachnophobia. Now, interesting enough, what's missing in this list? Fear of death. Death and public speaking, right? Those were supposed to be the top two of all time, yet it's missing. I'm sure it's there, but I'm sure that death is and public speaking is still there somewhere, right? But it's, it's kind of interesting that in 2018, it's missing there. You know, fears. We all fear something. 
But then in the topic of pain and suffering and, you know, finding comfort in God and where does, where is God when uh, pain arrived? Like that's our, our series. When does, uh, where is God when it hurts? How does fear correlate with pain and suffering? So I don't know about, I don't know if you're following uh, with us in this series. Uh, some of you are. But uh, right after Franca's uh, couch interview, it was to kick off the second half of our series. And so we are actually nearing the end of this book. And uh, so our progress now is that at the end of this month, we'll be done of this series. But if you are doing this book on your own, or you're reading on your own, or you're doing it in your small group, continue on. Feel free to continue on. It's just that now we're nearing the end. And this particular uh, chapter that we're on is in chapter 14, and Philip Yancey kicks off with this chapter with a, sent with a statement. He says this, fear is the universal primal response to suffering, and yet beyond doubt, it is also the single greatest enemy of recovery. The single greatest enemy of recovery, fear, is fear. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, fear can be psychosomatic. Right? Uh, this is Annabelle when she was, help me here, baby. Two, when she was two years old. Okay, so fear can be psychosomatic. And psychosomatic meaning that whatever is going on in your mind affects your body. Agree? Whatever goes on in your mind affects your body. So here's Annabelle. Now, up until like what, about four years old, Annabelle feared of getting her nails cut. Right? That's what it is right there. She fears of getting her nails cut. Before we even touch her, right? Before we even approach her, right? She already says, ow. Ow, it hurts, ow, it's so painful. We didn't even touch her fingers yet. We didn't even hold her fingers. She only saw the, she only saw the nail clipper and she goes, ah, it hurts, it hurts, painful, right? Fear, right? And then until recently, like uh, she, uh, until suddenly, like uh, there was a moment of turn, like I guess I did instead of uh, mommy, it was daddy's turn to do it. She goes, oh, it's not too bad. Right? It's like, oh, so the magical touch of dad. I feel proud of myself sometimes. Right? It's, um, so, but really, fear does affect uh, the whole the entire body. The fear, like uh, in Philip Yancey's book, there were the, the, the people who fear needles compared to people who do not fear needles. People who fear needles feel the pain of the needle more so than the people who do not fear the pain of needles. Uh, also, like, uh, for example, myself. Uh, I played football in high school, right? So when I get hit, it doesn't hurt as much as somebody who fears getting hit. Because for me, as a, for, for a person who doesn't fear to get hit, like who has been hit many times already, and uh, I'm really used to it, my body does not tense up, and my body just loosens up when that hit comes. But when a person tenses up and, and when the hit comes, it hurts even more so. You, you, you follow? So yes, physiologically, Right? When, fear, when we have fear, pain actually does not get subsided. Pain actually increases. Fear actually exasperates the whole problem of pain and suffering. So there's a direct correlation. In a Christian sense, though, uh, I'm just going to take it off to a tangent. In a Christian sense, especially in a church community sense, right, we often talk about loneliness as a pain and suffering. Right? But you know what? The fear of loneliness can also exasperate pain and suffering. The fear of loneliness. So, like, uh, so when somebody is in pain, somebody is in physical, mental, spiritual pain, relational pain, if they are 
they, if they are lonely, if they are alone, and they feel that they're going to be alone, that actually exasperates the problem too. Something to think about as, our, as a church community. That we, we are to seek people, seek out people, find people, pray that God will give us images of people in our community who may be suffering, who may be in pain, whether it be spiritual, mental, relational, physical, because loneliness actually exasperates the problem as well. The fear of being lonely, the fear of being alone in the world, fighting my own suffering and pain by myself. That is something that will hinder and um, endanger the path to recovery. So, if you're following along with Yancey's book, he continues to provide practical approaches in this chapter on how to provide care for others to help those to disarm the fear, right? Because uh, and if you read on, he provides a really good uh, ex uh, discussion and examples of how to disarm fear. But I'm not gonna do that this morning because you could read that. Uh, this morning, I'm gonna provide you with a theological foundation on where to start on how to disarm fear. A theological truth. And we're going to turn to our Bibles to do that. So let's begin by defining uh, what this truth is that's supposed to disarm fear. And this truth is this. The fear of God disarms all the fears that we have in this world, full stop. That's the theological truth that we're going to uh, expound. It's the fear of God disarms all the fears that we have in this world. The fear of all fears. What in the world is the fear of God then? Anybody ever actually ask that question here? What does it mean to fear God? Because we hear that a lot, right, in the, in the Bible. Do you know how many times the Bible mentions it? That makes it so important? 271 times. And that's only in the NIV, <laughs> right? So if you go into King James or even the ESV, probably even more. But 271 times of fearing God, it means that that's pretty important, right? But then, however, doesn't God supposed to cast out fear? So why are we supposed to fear God? And then, so what has that got to do with the truth that the fear of God is, also, is the greatest fear that will disarm all fears? And what has that to do with connected with pain and suffering? So that's where we're going to go in. All right. What... I'm going to start off with what fear is not, the fear of God, what it is not. Anyone know of the term tantiu? Right? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's the uh, turkey feather duster, right? Am I right? The, the feather duster with the turkey feathers? You know? Uh, like, uh, my, when I was growing up, my parents used that to threaten me. Actually, what do you mean by threaten? They just use it <laughs> on me, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no threatening. They just use it, right? It's a punishment tactic, a tool where it's like a feather duster, but they invert it, so they hold it on the feather side and they whack you, right? Fear is not that, right? The fear of unpredictable punishment, the fear of discipline, the fear that, oh, if I do something wrong, I'm going to get punished for it by God. That is not the fear of God. That is not the fear. So let's just get that over with and done with. It is not that fear that, we are, that the Bible is referring to. It is not about the fear that God will punish me if I just slip, slip up. Or even though I may not know that I'm slipping, it's not that. So what is this fear of God if it's not that? And what is this fear of God if it's mentioned so many times that it's so important? Well, I'm going to quote from... A, um, a writer in Christianity today, today and her name is jo Joanna Reardon. And here's her quote. So he goes, she goes, okay, 
Fear of God, here's one example. Here's some examples of the fear of God. Genesis 42, 18. Joseph wins his brother's trust when he declares he is a God-fearing man. It was because the midwives feared God that they obeyed him instead of authorities by sparing the Hebrew babies. So again, there's fear of God, right? So this whole idea of fear of God, Joseph had got the trust of his brother's trust because the brother saw him as a God-fearer, and then, of course, the midwives. Next one. Pharaoh brought disaster on his nation because he did not fear God. Another one, right? So it's something to do with uh, obedience to God and not fearing him, and hence that's why Pharaoh brought his own disaster. Again, in another example, Moses chose leaders to help him on the basis that they feared God and wouldn't take bribes, right? So it's almost like uh, when I, we were selecting our elders, for instance, our church elders, we, part of our criteria is fearing God. And, one of the, and the fearing God, in this case, is more about honesty and, uh, and integrity. What else is there? The Mosaic Law cites fear of God as a reason to treat the disabled and elderly well. Hmm. So fearing God also has something to do with being able to or being recognized as somebody that could provide care. That, some, that fearing God, if I was a God-fearer, you can say that I am dependable to love you and care for you. Right? Another thing, another example in the Old Testament. And this is not just the, in the Old Testament. Jesus states that stronger than anyone that he says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God. Remember that sentence? Remember that verse, what he said? He goes like, yeah, they could destroy your soul and body, but hey, they cannot destroy your spirit because you fear God. They cannot destroy you at all. And Paul, of course, says this in, uh, um, in the first Corinthians 7.1, that Holiness is made complete because we fear God. All right, that's the examples in the Bible. To sum up then, if I were to say, if you were to say that I fear God or you fear God, it means that you are trustworthy, that you are capable of loving people well, that when you're a God-fearer, that you can love a person well, care for a person well, and, you have a, and you're a person of integrity and honesty, uprightness. Here's a question for all of us then, just to, again, side note. We're Christian, right? We claim that we're Christian. Can we say those things? Are we identified as a person like that? When we say that we are a Christian, it means that we are a God-fearer, right? Can we say that we have, like, are we identified as a person of integrity, a person that, we can, that people can trust, that people can trust your loyalty and commitment to care for them and love them, right? Are we known as that? Is each of us known as that? That's just a side note. Because to fear God, apparently, is to be like that, is to be trustworthy and to be upright and kind and loving and committed. So what is this fear that this world then clearly does not have? Because Paul says, you know what? The problem with this world now is that there's not enough God-fearers, right? So what, is this, uh, so what is this fear of God then that the world does not have? Partly, and what is this fear of, uh, fear of God that identifies us as God-fearers, as Christians? It's because when we look around, we, uh, we definitely don't see the fear of God. We, have, we see dishonesty, we see uh, anger, violence, jealousy, stealing, lust, murder. So what is this fear that we should have that would make us be identified as trustworthy and honest when we tell someone we are Christian? Most importantly, what is this fear that disarms and casts out all fears 
and uh, cast out and disarm fear so that we can be on a recovery from our pain and suffering. So here we go. I have a story then. What is the fear of God then? When Rosario and I went to Hawaii, and the big island, we uh, went to this uh, park called the, the Volcano Park, right? And there was this humongous crater, right? Huge crater. And uh, we went there, and then uh, uh, we went really close to the steps and, and, uh, and saw this crater. And then luckily for that week, right, uh, there, was the, uh, there was an eruption. Not the big one, <laughs> right? The, the one prior to that. The, like, and uh, it was exciting because you see lava spewing out and everything, right? And then I go, wow, if we were actually in that crater, we would be a little peon, right? Like, like it was a big crater. And then the, if, we, we, if you went in, you would be a little piece of rice in the rice bowl. Right? And, and I mean it in a way because I'm Asian. Right? So you're like a piece of rice in the rice bowl. But, it's, but it was amazing. And what really dawned on me was, uh, uh, and as I reflected on this when I was standing there, I go, wow, this lava is indestructible. Think about it. Wherever it wants to go, it will go. It cannot be stopped. Right? Like, uh, think about it. Like, uh, it, it's just so hot that it will just burn whatever is in its way. Fortunately, just on the side, fortunately, you know, uh, we were, when we left, that's what, the week after that, that's when that humongous uh, eruption uh, happened. And uh, we were just going, wow, by God's grace, <laughs> like we got out of there before that thing came. And then on the news, I saw the same uh, place, you know, where we drove and we, we, when we drove on, those, uh, on the freeway, that lava literally is indestructible. It just keeps on going and going. It doesn't matter whether it's concrete or anything. Nothing can block its way. It will head to its own direction. Wherever it wants to go, it will go. Freaky, right? Quite scary. But then I said to Rosanna on the plane, uh, not on the plane, um, when we were at home, I go, you know what would be really cool? Because that's a cool sight. Like, you know, when the lava spewing out of the concrete uh, off the street, wouldn't it be cool to take a selfie and then fly, fly away? <laughs> you know, and hopefully, and then of course, you know, it'll be cool to take a selfie, have a five minute glory, and then fly away right after that, right? But, you know, so you, I have this fear of lava, right? This fear of lava, it's unstoppable. It has awesome power. It has, a, like, nothing could stand in its way. Nothing can defeat it. It'll go wherever it wants to go. But I'm also attracted to it. Because you know why? Because of its awesome power, of its immense capacity to do whatever it wants to do, right? Like I could, like you could say that I could always depend on lava to destroy something, right? Guarantee, right? It'll destroy something. That's that relationship, that attraction that I have with this lava. It's, I'm attracted to this power, this immense power, yet I also fear it because, you know, it's lava, right? Let's run that with the fear of God, okay? Let's run that with the fear of God, because I think that it's very, very similar. Fear that God is awesome and powerful. It's unstoppable. He's unstoppable, right? Whatever he wants to do, it'll happen. I look at creation of the world. He said, and it became, right? Unstoppable force. And nothing can get in his way. So death, nothing. Death cannot stop them. Illness cannot stop them. Nothing can stop them. The powers of this world cannot stop them, right? He's this powerful, like lava. And so we fear him. You follow? We fear him because he is this unstoppable power. However, 
because he is this great power, because he is this awesome power that nothing else can defeat, we fear nothing else. You follow? Do we fear sickness if we fear God? No, because God, because sickness cannot stop God. So why do we need to fear sickness? Does death, should we fear death if we fear God? No, because death cannot stop God. So we don't need to fear death either. And why is that? It's because God loves us with unfailing love. He is in us and we are in him. The greatest, most awesome power that, that is unstoppable, that is immeasurable, that cannot be even hindered, is in us. And so there's that ironic twist, right? Where this greatest power that we are to fear, which we do, is in us because of his love for us. So we have nothing else to fear. And this is the theological truth that, I'm, that was established when I mentioned in the beginning, that the fear of God is the greatest fear of all things. And it's the fear that casts out all other fears so that it disarms fear so that we can recover from our pain and suffering. You follow? Is that this fear of God, the fear of this awesome power, this unstoppable force, loves us so much that he is in us, that nothing else, no other fears can defeat us, because nothing can defeat him. Amazing, right? Praise God. And this is where you say amen. <laughs> All right? All right. Let's go on. Let's use a scripture to illustrate this, shall we? Uh, go to, if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 33. Turn with me to Psalm 33. And I will read. It goes like this. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a heart. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoken and came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purpose of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people who he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Now, if you have your markers or are able to highlight, start highlighting now. But the eyes of the Lord are those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. End the highlight. So God is awesome. He is all-powerful and nothing can stop him. He is the unstoppable force. The psalmist describes God as this unstoppable character beginning with, with creation, right? God just spoke and things began. 
And then the writer continues that God follows the plans of even the mightiest of armies, the mightiest of people here. So we fear nothing if God is in us. So if he is that awesome, if he is this unstoppable force, and if we fear him only, then there's nothing else that we fear. Nothing. No famine, no sickness, no uh, relational breakdowns, no mental illness, no spiritual illness, nothing. Not even our own sin can we fear because we fear God. There's nothing else that we need to fear. The fear of God disarms the fear of everything else so that we can be healed. Now get this though. Look at verses 18 to 22 when I told you to highlight. He goes like, like the writer goes on to say, what is this fear? What is this fear of God? And here it is. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Who are these people who fear him? On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. So fearing God, part two of the definition, is actually to place our hope on his unfailing love. This unfailing love, this awesome power is unfailing. You follow? This is why we always sing about God's unfailing love. It's because he's so freakishly awesome and powerful that his love is unfailing. You sin, fine. You might have like fallen short, fine. You may have like a, a you know, done something wrong, fine. You might feel shameful, fine. You might fear that you might be punished for a sin, fine. But because you fear the Lord and because you place your hope on his unfailing love, he still loves you. So you have no fear. God will not stop loving you. He still loves you every day. You will not be depart. You will not be away. You will not feel that you're away from God. God will always seek you out and love you. Unfailing love because He is that powerful. And guess, and because we fear Him, this people who fear Him is actually how do we fear God? Is to place our hope in this unfailing love. You follow in this passage? Is to place our hope in His unfailing love. Now, for those of you who are keeners out there. Where else have we seen this pastor's unfailing love and fear? This combination of unfailing love and fear. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 19. And this is where I'm going to conclude. This is where I'm going to sum up everything. How does this fear of God, this placing our hope in his unfailing love, disarm our fears on this world, in this world, in our lives? Let's begin. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 to 19. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. My goodness, that is a great promise, isn't it? A great assurance that if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, which is you and me, God lives in us and we in him. This is present tense, folks, so it means that it's today. That regardless of what just happened this past week, He's still in you today. Whoever lives in, lives in love lives in God and God in them. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. 
Wow, another thing, another promise. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. So how does fear of God, who is perfect love, take away fear? Well, I'm going to quote from, uh, to close, I'm going to quote from William Eisenhower. He puts it this way. Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is this ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give it unwarranted power. In other words, when you see your own threats, when you see your own fears and you fear it, you're actually giving it unwarranted power. For in truth, the world's threats are temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up again. He sits in judgment on my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. Remember that. That unfailing love. He forgives you nevertheless. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. That's his uh, way of explaining 1 John, uh, that passage that we read. Is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, meaning that, yes, we know that God is this awesome, this powerful God. He's that powerful, and he has this unfailing love for us. But then to experience and receive that love is to make that love complete. And that's how our fear is casted away. The fears of the threats that you are experiencing today, they're casted away because God's unfailing love. And of course, the ultimate example of fear and perfect love working together is Jesus Christ. He warned us at every turn to fear God, not men, and he confirmed that in everything about his life and death, he spoke lovingly but frankly to all and didn't mince words when people needed to face their sin and repent. But he also demonstrated love beyond human understanding when he lived out his words. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, which Jesus did. And that is his evidence of his unfeeling love for us. And that is fear of God. So it's not about the punishment. It's not about the discipline, the fear of discipline. It is about, actually, the experience of God's unfailing love, to place our hope in his love. And that's how the fear of God casts out all.